Welcome to the Republic of Football. We are back. On today's show, we have uh, Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman. He covers Texas, graciously found some time to join us today. Before we get started, a reminder, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. It only makes the show stronger. Later in the show, Texas Tech coach Cliff Kingsbury will join us. Uh, he's always a great interview. I asked him about his team, his defense that I swear should be pretty stout this year, his quarterbacks, and I also got to the bottom uh, of a rumored Britney Spears shrine that he built around a flirty note that he uh, she gave him all the way back in 2002 when she came to campus. You'll have to listen to the details, but I'll just say this. It's a lot more truth than rumor. Uh, BD, I know you are in Austin, but considering that I was just in Lubbock yesterday, we got to start there. Lubbock gets a bad rap. Is it remote? Yes. Does it sometimes get bludgeoned with the uh, hilariously named Haboob, more commonly or more commonly known as a sandstorm? Uh, sure. But as someone who, you know, several years ago flew into town uh, during one of those storms, uh, they can be a little scary. But people act like it's the worst place in the world. There's nothing around it, but Lubbock is Lubbock's fine. It, I think it benefits from the constant barrage of besmirchment. When I told Cliff yesterday I could see the Dallas skyline from uh, Jones Stadium, he joked off the air they like to fly in uh, recruits at night. So New York City it's not, but my hottest Lubbock take is it ranks in the top half of the Big Ten, or Big 12's towns. BD, you've been around this league a lot. Where, where do you stand on the Lubbock slander? Well, first, first off, thanks for having me here today. And I would definitely say, as someone who lived in Lubbock, for several years covering Texas Tech for then the Dallas Morning News, I would say that Lubbock is the weed that, that grows on you and you grow to love, right? <laughs> I mean, when you get there, you're like, what have I done? But after you've spent about three, six, 12, 24, 36 months there, you're like, this place is pretty, pretty good. And, and you know, Lubbock has everything you need, right? Um, including running water. That, that's always what we used to joke about. It's true. Um, I, I use this. I wash my hands several it's, times. It's great. It's, total, it's totally, totally fine. The only problem is, is that it's, it's geographically situated where you know, it's going to take you five hours to drive somewhere. Yeah, I'm sensitive to it. it. It is in the middle of nowhere. That is true. But it's an oasis in the middle of West Texas, and it's – I just I can't stand for the Lubbock slander. It gets mentioned in the same breath as I'm not going to go there. I don't want to start a, I don't want to start internet fights, but you know the towns we're talking about. It gets mentioned in that sure. same breath, and they're un, it's it's an unfair criticism. It just is. It just is. With that, uh, well, actually, I will say I think I said this before. I wake up every day sad that we never got to see the clash of cultures. Uh, the Pac Pac sixteen could have wrought on the first occasion that Cal or Stanford fans. Uh, made the trek from Northern California to West Texas. That would have been entertaining. It's a different kind of imagine, place, but it's a good different. <laughs> could you imagine Stanford and Cal and all those people coming to get hit with tortillas in Lubbock? That would have been great. <laughs> that would have yes. been fantastic. I, I the the Pac-16 would have been one of the most uh, just uh, hilariously outrageous leagues, but unfortunately. It has not come to fruition. We'll, we'll save. We'll save my uh, Arizona and Arizona State should come to the Big Twelve theory for another show. But 
with that, let's get to the the unquestioned best town in the Big 12, unless you got a Fort Worth take you want to drop on us. But that is Austin. Uh, Brian, you and I uh, caught up briefly when I was there last week, but you're there every day. How would you mm-hmm. sort of categorize the mood uh, around the program this spring right now? I, I would say it's um, quietly optimistic. And, uh, yeah, that's different from cautiously optimistic because cautiously optimistic thinks, eh, we, we could be better, but let's not make a big deal about it. Uh, whereas this, this feels like quietly optimistic. It's like, eh, we might be better. We might be worse. We're not going to tell you how, how it's really going. Uh, we'll just see come, come the fall. And, um, you know, I, I absolutely hate the, the cliche of, oh, you know, we just put our head down and went to work. You know, I, I think that's lame. But, but that's really kind of what the Horns have done uh, this spring. You know, uh, Herman has been very, very uh, vanilla in his descriptions of Sam Ellinger and, and Shane Buchel, uh the two quarterbacks. Um, he definitely thinks that the defense is getting better. Um, I just think that he has been very hesitant to lavish a lot of praise on this group, um, except for let's, let's be honest, they were they were seven and six, and you know they, they got some work to do before they start crowing about anything. Yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. Um, you know, last year, no question, a disappointment. I mean, seven and six will never be good enough at Texas. You know, no matter how many bags are secured uh, along the way, people know about the QB situation. You know, the lack of depth and, and high level talent at the offensive line fairly chronicled as well. But as somebody who's been there, you know, you've covered Texas uh, in this current iteration for a while. Are there any things you feel like get overlooked as to why year one under Herman didn't look that much different than the, the strong era? Well, I, I think you had a, a combination of a lot of Charlie players, Charlie's players, who were – uh, you know, I don't know if put off is the right word, but they were very much taken aback to the wildly different tact that Tom Herman had in dealing with them than Charlie did. You know, Charlie wanted to be their friend and he wanted to be their buddy. And, and that's fine. I mean, it, you know, everybody has their own style, but when the, but when a taskmaster comes in and says, look, I ain't here to be your friend, you know, that, whoa, it's like, you know, Hey, whoa, 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 hold on there. Hold on there, big guy. And then they go out and get smoked by Maryland. And that was as big a program-damaging loss as I can really ever think of. You know, because here's a guy who's trying to instill a new culture. And, you know, everything's a competition. It's all about winning and losing. Winning is important. And then they go out and get blown out at home by the Terps. Uh, Did not look good at all doing it. And it was like, well, wait a minute. You know, you've been you've been busting our chops for nine months, and and this is what we get. You know, same old, same old. And so I I think that Herman had to go back to the drawing board. The players had to do some serious introspection. And it's like you know, Charlie doesn't live here anymore, guys. And you guys got to figure it out. Um, you know, whether you want to keep winning or, uh, or or try something different. I mean, I'm sorry, keep losing, or or do you want to try something different? Yeah, that was his. You know, I I I, I look at the college football season kind of like a mosaic in that you look really close and things can look kind of broken but you zoom out and usually most by the end of the season there's very few games that don't make sense 
But that Texas-Maryland game still, by the end of the season, didn't make sense. That was not a good Maryland team. That was a Texas team that, that quite obviously was not ready to play. It was shocking while it happened, and I was kind of almost just as amazed that as the season went on, it was still shocking. Um, but, it, you know, what do you make of this year's team? For me, I'm not a big believer in any of the quarterbacks on campus. I think there's some potential with Ellinger, some potential with Bouchelle, but I, I don't know that those guys are – like the all Big 12 caliber guy you need to to win a Big 12 title. But there are so many athletes on the roster. I mean, especially defensively. For as much as they lose, they've got a lot of potential there. But this still kind of looks like an 8 or 9 win team to me, even though they've, they've got some upside. I don't think I'd be shocked if they were competing for a Big 12 title in November. But I'll put you on the spot. How does this team, how do you think they stack up in year two? If you put a gun to my head today, I'd say eight and four, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the reason why I would say that is because for a few things. Number one, defensively, you know they're losing Malik Jefferson, they're losing Holton Hill, Deshaun Elliott, uh, who's a Thorpe finalist. And it sounds crazy, but there's just kind of a collective shrug, you know, around the program. I mean, you know, anytime you lose, you know, really good players, that that's an issue, but. Uh, there's just not a lot of panic, you know. There's just not a lot of oh my gosh, what you know, what are they going to do? Um, because everyone saw how well the defense progressed last season under Todd Orlando. Um, they've got a dynamite uh, freshman uh, re- recruiting class coming in with a ton of DBs, so there's just not a lot of worry there. Um, I almost wonder if the defense could be a little bit better um, because they're going to mix it up more and put more uh, more athleticism on the field with their lightning package. Um, you know, because how much aerial theatrics there are in the Big 12, you're going to play mostly dime, a dime a lot. So that could be really good. You know, the quarterback situation, um, I mean, let's be honest. Sam Ellinger cost this team three games with three specific plays, right? If you take those three specific plays out, the fumble, the fumble on the goal line against USC, the uh, thrown it ball in, uh, interception that ended the Oklahoma State game, one of the and then the, worst and then the exactly, and then one of the, and then the and then the dumbest play call of the season was passing across his body on third and two against Texas Tech that they took the other way yep. uh, and led to a and led to a, a, a score. So if you, if you could redo those three plays, uh, Texas probably has a very very different season. Uh, last year and so that's why Herman feels like you know that, that they're close they're not that far off and, and maybe that maybe they aren't I, I don't know but um they've got real issues at running back as in they don't have one yeah and um I truly thought that they had a game-breaking talent in Colin Johnson and that never showed itself out wide at receiver and so you know, here, everybody was all worked up about Tim Beck as the offensive coordinator. Oh, my God, get rid of this guy. You know, this guy's terrible. He's a terrible play caller, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm, I'm just, I just was not convinced that Tim Beck was the problem. I think that the players on the field are, are the, were the problem last year. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, you, you hit on the defense, and I, I think you might actually be right. And, and I'll go back. You know, I sat down with, with Tom Herman last week. He'll be a, uh, a guest on next week's show. Um, but I – in as careful a words as he could, he kind of explained that, okay, yes, Malik Jefferson was a freak. He did some things outside of 
the design of our defense that were just like otherworldly. But he was very careful with how he talked about Deshaun Elliott because he's like, you know, Deshaun Elliott is a great player. He made a lot of great plays. But I've been with Todd a long time. We, we tend to get a lot of um, production out of that safety spot. Uh, we feel like we have some playmakers there. And then obviously, you know, getting Chris Nelson back uh, to, to play tackle uh, and replace Puna Ford, he felt pretty good about that. So he knows mm-hmm. they've got a little bit of place, but you're right. For as much for as decorated as those guys left, I think they feel pretty good um, about where they're at. And then certainly in the Big Twelve, you got to get after the passer. And and with Charles Amenahu and, and Brecken Hager on the outside, I mean that's that's as good a pass rushers as they're going to have. So I think they can do the most important things. No, I, I agree. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one guy, David, that I am going to start putting on my radar as 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 the breakout player of the of the year for them. It could be Malcolm Roach, and the reason why is because um, Gary Gary Johnson, who is essentially replacing Malik Jefferson at that rover linebacker position, he got hurt, uh, you know, early in camp, and they moved Malcolm Roach from defensive end to linebacker, and I mean, people can't sing his praises enough, and so uh, he's a guy on my list, on my short list of potential breakout stars um you know for texas uh this past year you know going back to deshaun elliott real, real quick on him okay here's a guy who was a thorpe finalist and everybody thinks oh that was that's fantastic that's fantastic okay look at his six interceptions all right if you really break down his six interceptions two of those were just he was playing center field and the ball came right to him right that, that was nothing two of those were uh, he uh, had to make a play, but he was sort of in the right place at the right time, and any safety could have really made that. And the final two were were indeed spectacular plays, the run back against USC and the other one at Baylor, right? But let's not sit here and say, oh, my gosh, he, he had six interceptions. You know, what are they going to do about that? Well, you know, I think any safety could have had some of those, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's another reason why that um, – don't get me wrong. I think Deshaun is a fantastic person and great, but it's like I, I just don't think it, you know you're going to see them fall off a cliff. Yeah, this is the portion of the podcast where we apologize to Deshaun Elliott's mom. Uh, but how do you think? How do you think the, this the Herman era plays out ultimately? I mean, I, I I've, after one year, uh, let's put this let's put this way: after one year of Charlie Strong. We really thought, I don't know about this. I don't know about this coach. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work, big guy. Right? Um, he did after seem to have one a fundamental year, misunderstanding of the Big Twelve for sure. Yeah, exactly. And just but after one year of Tom Herman, I would say, uh, you know, let's let's get this uh, let's get this a little more water. Let's get this a little more sunshine. Let's see let's see if this plant can grow. You know, um, I mean, it, it was very obvious. In, in my mind, in retrospect, it was very obvious that it wasn't going to work with Charlie. Um, you know, he just for a lot of for a lot of different reasons. None none of those were uh, none of those were a deal breaker, but it's the cumulative effect of a lot of things. Um, I think Herman is a legitimate CEO head coach. Um, I think he knows how to play the role very well, and he's a guy that understands. You know, eliminate the outside noise. Just focus on winning the games, right? I told that to Charlie. I told that to Herman. 
all this outside stuff, all this political stuff, everything that goes along with being the coach of Texas, just ignore all of that and just win the games, okay? And everything will be fine. And I think Herman gets that. And, and um, I, I, I think Texas is going to get on better footing here going forward. Mm-hmm. Did last year affect your answer in any way? Uh, yeah, most, mostly because mostly because um, I, I can say you go back. I think three games were decided by three plays, right? I mean, th- think about this. Think about this. Let's say that let's say that that Texas punches it in and beats USC. Let's say that Ellinger throws the ball away, and then they come back on the next play and they score and beat Oklahoma State, and they secure the win against Tech, which they should have done. Man, now you're talking about a what a ten win team. Secure the right? bag. Secure and the I'll, bag, BD. Not secure the win. Yeah, and you, and you secured the bag too. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Whoa, watch out for Texas," you know. So I, I mean, so yeah, I mean, the, I do think they're close. Um, they're just like anyone else, though. They need more talent. They need more talent across the board. They've got to get better quarterback play. Um, but but I think they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think you know when I was looking at year one of Herman, probably this time last year, I thought. Well, you know, you look at their composition of their roster and you look at the quarterback situation. I was like, I, I feel like they can probably settle the quarterback situation during the year. And I feel like Texas had a pretty good shot seeing how much talent the Big 12 is going to lose. I was like, you know, Texas, they can come into 2018 as, as the Big 12 favorite. Well, none of those things are, have happened. Texas is not the Big 12 favorite. That will, you know, probably be Oklahoma. Texas price probably hovering in that sphere, but West Virginia brings back a lot. We'll see if they can actually win at a high level, but... Uh, Texas is not the Big 12 favorite. They do not have their quarterback situation settled. Aggressively unsettled, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they're 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 just in a, they're in a weird spot. I'm kind of with you. I think they're closer uh, than, than I think people realize to being, um, I don't know if a power is the right word, but being a team that's not going to win fewer than nine games or fewer than eight games, a team that's not going to get, you know, a team that can that you feel like they've got a great shot to win every single game they play, and I'm not sure that Texas has been able to say that in a long time. No, I agree with that. I agree with that 100. percent And here's another factor that's going to get overlooked in the preseason is that you know Herman was forced into play calling things in the red zone last year because he didn't have a kicker. Right? He had he he did not have a guy that he could. They could guarantee him three points once they got inside the twenty yard line. Thus, they had to go for it on fourth down a whole bunch, right? Well, now they got the number one kicker in America, number one kicking recruit coming in, um, Cameron Dicker from Lake Travis. I mean, if you could, if you had a guy at that position that would secure you uh, a bunch of field goals, I think it dramatically alters the amount of risk you take on inside the twenty yard line. I mean, this is a team that last year. I mean, they had the best punter in America, and that's, uh, that guy alone kept them in games, right? So the importance of special teams uh, is not overlooked by this fan base when, let's be honest, it's overlooked by most people most of the time. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So we got to go here. You're, you're well connected with decision makers at Texas. It's played out, but we gotta. We haven't gotten an intriguing answer, I think, for a while or anything that really got people talking about it. Where do you think we stand at A and M in Texas? This this awkward Cold War that's playing out on the recruiting trail. 
Where, 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 how would you categorize where this stands? Well, I, I, it, the Cold War is definitely on. There's no question about it. It's um, stupid. From talking, from, from talking with the people inside Moncrief, um, they know that there is a that, that they know there's a full throttle war for recruiting against Texas A&M right now. Even though no one will admit it publicly, um, I still think it's a huge mistake that these teams don't play every year. I'm I'm one of those that say bring back the rivalry, um, you know. But in the CFP era, I don't know that it benefits you to do that uh, if we're, if we're being totally objective about it. Um, but, you know, Texas is going to have to uh, re- – like the latest thing now is they're going to have to redo their facilities. They've got to redo the south end zone because they have got to get up to par with at least what A&M has. A&M is now the leader in this state uh, when it comes to facilities and no, the stadium no and no amenities and all that to their players. And Texas is whoa, whoa, woefully behind in that area. So, um, you know, they've got some work to do, no question. I'm just tired of all the innuendo. You know, everyone knows what's going on. I'll, I'll give you some some insight. We were at uh, in College Station a few weeks ago when I was talking to uh, Jimbo Fisher on his uh, on his desk. He had a, a printout of a Rivals.com article. Uh, Houston recruits weigh in. Who will win a national championship first, A and M or Texas? This is like it's just uh, it, it's the it's the most spoken unspoken rivalry I have ever seen. It's just I'm so tired of it. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. When, but when, that's just it. How could how could it be the most unspoken if we're all talking about it? Because we're not playing it, man. It's a lot of flirting. That's we gotta true. just get, make it happen. We. When do you think, in 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 a realistic scenario, when for fans who want to see this game played again, when is the the soonest you think that could realistically happen? When does it When does it realistically happen? Yeah. You think? I don't know. I mean. Uh, for a while, it was being discussed at the highest levels of the state government. I know that for fact. Um, now, it's, whether it's John Sharp, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know for fact that it was discussed in the Capitol building with with Abbott himself, and that and that was coming about when uh, when Texas played A and M in that scrimmage in the basketball scrimmage. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I guess that would have been last season. Yeah, it was. Uh, Harvey, it was. It was. It was. That's what. That's what it was. That's right. The fundraiser. It was kicked around then, you know, why Why can't these two – it seems so simple. Why can't these two teams meet for football? Um, you know, now whether John Sharp put the kibosh on that or whether Bill McRaven, you know, shot that down or what, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, I don't know. I, I just know that Texas, if you asked Herman, Herman would want to play that game. But here's the caveat. He would want to trade out – uh, one of UT's big upcoming non-conference road trips, which let's see, they've got Michigan on the docket, they've got LSU on the docket, and Ohio State at some point. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what order that's in, but um, you know, I, I do know this, David. Texas fans in general, they got a unbelievable kick out of going to LA this past season. Yeah. And the whole the whole trip that that in, that that entailed. Well, now you got USC coming to Royal Memorial this year, and I just don't know if there's an appetite for getting rid of a trip to, you know, Columbus, Ohio, for College Station. That's fair. That's fair. I just think it means 
so much to the state. I it just football season is just it's it's worse without it. And I I get all the reasons that that, that you know go into behind it. But I, my theory was always. Well, once the old leadership, you know, leaves, once there's a there's a new AD at A&M, and once DeLoss leaves, and once uh, you know Mac leaves, and and once uh, you know A&M has had some some time, I, I think we'll have some some softening of the Cold War, and here we are, and it's as chilly as ever. I think I'm a little surprised by that, um, just because as much of a denial, people say, oh, we don't need to play that game, we don't need to play that game. If they played it tomorrow with 20 with 12 hours notice, there'd be a hundred thousand people in the stands wherever they play. Absolutely. It. Well, here, here, here's the here's the problem as I see it, is that both of these schools are eventually going to have to add that game for their season ticket package, because I mean I don't know if you've really looked at Texas's home schedule. It's not very good, right? The conference home schedule for them is not that great, and so um, I mean think about it. Every year Texas plays its biggest game in Dallas, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're going to need another big-time home draw to be able to continue to charge fans the dollars that they require in, in, the, in the college athletic economy, right? Um, you know, I think A&M is going to end up saying the same thing. My big, my big belief with it on the A&M side is, is pull out the schedule and do it whatever year Alabama, uh, Alabama is not at Kyle Field. So you would play Alabama at home one year and then Texas at home the next year and then use that as your alternating base if I'm the Aggies. I like it. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so moving on, obviously we need to visit the Republic of Football Food Corner. Uh, so when I was in Austin, I, I paid a visit to my go-to, which is uh, 24 Diner. If you haven't been, you should go. Essentially they take diner – favorites and put a little a chefy spin on it if we will mm-hmm. greatest chicken and waffles Absolutely. greatest chicken and waffles in existence the flavor the consistency of the waffle the syrup the chicken which has been <laughs> meticulously did you just say the consistency of the waffle listen i am a breakfast food purist i get very excited about breakfast food i've had a lot of bad waffles in my day and that is a spectacular waffle uh the chicken meticulously deboned I might add, it's the total package. So, like I said, go if you haven't been. My greatest regret, though, is I have never made it to Franklin. I know uh, the Statesman guys, you guys work the back channel, right? And you do like a mass order like once a month when they do the special. They do. The homers situation. They do. All right, okay, so, 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 okay, so let's talk about Franklin for a second. Okay, let's talk Please about do. Franklin for a second. Number one, okay, if you there's, – there's two, there's two ways to view Franklin's barbecue, Okay. Number one, if you would like to come to our small little village and you would like the full-blown tourist thing to do, go stand in line in Franklin. Okay? Just do it. Just go stand in line, make it a four-hour thing, and, you know, and you're a tourist. Get a T-shirt, the whole nine yards, and, and you check it off your bucket list, right? There's only like 12 okay. weeks out of the year when you, that won't kill you, though. Say that again. There's only like 12 weeks out of the year when that won't kill you, when it's not either super hot. Well, that's or true. That's chilly. very true. That's very true. But what I would argue is, is that I will never, ever, ever stand in line at Franklin's, and the reason why is because there are 50 other places that are remotely as good, just as good, if not better, that there's no line for. Shout out to Style Switch. Yes, Style Switch. Opie's out here in in uh, Spicewood, 
go down to Terry Black's on Barton Creek. There's a hundred places, right? And the thing is, is that, but Franklin is the one that has captured the national attention, you know, and, and that's fine. It's fine. But if you, if you want to be a tourist, go to Franklin. If you want to do what the locals do, there's 50 other places. Petey, that was a very elitist rant. I think you should know that. <laughs> what is your what is your what is your Austin dining go to? What is, as somebody who's been there for quite some time, what is what is your favorite restaurant in, in Austin, and what is the go to dish there? Oh man, well there's a great Chili's. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm still having a hard time processing that that the waffle has a certain je ne sais quoi at uh, at Twenty Four Diner. Listen, um, I could start a waffle podcast if I needed to. I got a lot of waffle takes. I'll spare you well, some you of them. The, so, uh, so for breakfast, it's kind of hard to beat Kirby Lane. If you're going to do breakfast, just go to Kirby Lane Cafe. There's, there's several different locations. Do the one on South Congress would, would be my recommendation. Um, lunch place, there's, uh, what is it, Gus's Chicken and Waffles is now, is now in South Austin, right off of uh, First Street. That, that place is pretty good. Not nearly as expensive as one might think. Uh, it's very, very affordable. Um, I said, let's see, I said Terry Black's earlier. Terry Black's would be my go-to uh, barbecue, would be my personal go-to barbecue place if I was in town. If I'm out of town, it'd be Opie's out here uh, close to my house. Um, for Mexican, there's all different kinds of places. You know, Mattel Rancho is, is super, super popular uh, with the locals. Also, uh, you know, the Flores is what they serve in the press box, and that gets – that gets wildly mixed reviews. Don't get me it, started on the greatest. Don't, I, don't, I don't need a. Ta- I don't. You don't need to get me started on the rants about the Texas press box. Texas. Well, it's like it's, it's either the greatest or the worst. You know how I don't know where, where people fall on that. It, it is what it is. Um, you know, and then and then, uh, and then for uh, man, there's all just there's all different kind of places. The thing about it is, it's the, it's where you, where do you want to go depending on the mood you're in, is is one thing. Um. That's kind of what Austin has become. It's become a, a mood restaurant type of place, you know. That's a good description. Um, so you have to tell me kind of what mood you're in, and then, and then we go determine it from there. I got you. I got you. So before we before we close this out, if you uh, were on death row but you still had some level of freedom, you could go out to one restaurant in Austin. Where are you going to dinner tonight? If I'm on death row, yeah. <sighs> Uh, You're not on death row. Well, right? me, I'm sorry if that was me Texas. personally. No. Me personally, I'm probably ordering up from Bob's Steak and Chop House. Look at you! Look at you! Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm ordering up from Bob's Steak and Chop House, and I would tell, and I would ask for extra, extra carrot. glazed carrot. I would ask for an extra glazed carrot. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go out. That's the way to go out. Empty the savings account and get an extra carrot. I like it. I like Absolutely. It. Well, so that brings us to this week's guest, Cliff Kingsbury. He's a straightforward guy. I like to compare him to Bill Snyder at Kansas State, uh, and this is why. Cliff could have just won the biggest game of his career, could have gotten blasted by 30, could have lost on a Hail Mary. He's just the same guy all the time. I, I think that's the quarterback in him. Uh, Bill Snyder, he's the same way. Um, so, yeah, certainly on Cliff. It definitely feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. Uh, we touched on that in our conversation. But Tech's an interesting team. They bring back a ton on the offensive line, 10 starters on defense. There are so many new faces uh, on offense at the skill positions. I talked to Travis Bruffy, uh, one of their offensive linemen yesterday, and he said something that stuck out. And he said, 
hey, we can have Aaron Rodgers back there, and if he's getting constantly harassed, it's not going to matter. we got to keep him comfortable. Uh, but I look at the flip side of that. I think if you're Texas Tech and you've got a great offensive line, uh, if you can keep a guy comfortable, he looks a lot better. So if you're asking me why Tech might be better than people think, I would say that. Uh, and Cliff took an interesting approach to his quarterback competition. You know, they're all so young. He basically said, you know, yeah, you're competing, and this is, you know, I'm taking this in, but the spring is about getting guys reps. The real competition doesn't start until preseason camp. So all his guys, Carter, Bowman, and uh, the guy I think wins, Jet Duffy, are so young. He just wanted them to get reps, and, and they accomplished that. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Cliff Kingsbury. So this week's guest, Texas Tech coach Cliff Kingsbury, a big season ahead uh, for you guys you know, you, this this program has had the identity of offense for so long, but this year, you know, you mentioned you got ten starters back on defense. That's where all your experience lies. I mean, is it possible uh, that, that that your defense is your best unit this year? I hope so. I think that'd be a great sign for our team. Uh, lots of experience, lots of uh, great leadership on that side of the football. Lots of ex- um, guys that um, have been through some ups and downs and, and built some mental toughness, and, and so we expect them to to help lead this this unit. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to watch. I've seen a lot of development over the last two years with that group, and Coach Gibbs has done a tremendous job with his coaching staff of getting those guys ready to go, and uh, hopefully we take that next step this season. I think an overlooked problem was the sort of the continuity issues defensively. What has it been like for you to have that with Coach Gibbs and be able to have everybody still speaking the same language every offseason, not having to teach guys new things? What has that been like? That's been huge. Um, you know, when I first got here, we made it through one season and three games with you know the first um, coach and it didn't work out and then we had to start over and coach Gibbs came in a tough spot and he had a vision three and four years down the road of what it could be if he recruited the way he wanted and had the time to develop the way he wanted and he's done just that which I have a ton of respect for him and him having that vision having that patience to do it the right way and so now we're starting to see the fruits of, of his kind of labor and um, it's really exciting. I think, you know, last year the, the prevailing presumption around the Texas game was that if you lost, you know, you might not be here this year. What was that sort of like? And, and when you're preparing for that game and, and you get down early, how much is that in your head? I mean, what, what was that experience like for you guys to win that game and, and clinch the postseason? And yeah, you always try to make it about the players. You know, that's what I've always tried to do at this job is, is understand that this is about them and their experiences and, and how, how can we make them successful and, and better people. and. Um, so I think when you keep that as your focus, all that other noise and all the other stuff that's going on, you know, that's something you, you deal with after the game and, and win, lose, or draw, you're going to have to face it. But um, I think all the coaching staff did a nice job of just, hey, it's about the players, it's about coming up with the best game plans, you know, coaching the best possible way we can to put them in a position to be successful. And um, we're fortunate to, to win that game. How do you do that? How do you sort of keep the focus on the player? What disciplines are there to, to make sure that you're not sort of you know, navel-gazing, that you're looking and making sure it's about the guys around you? How do you do that? Yeah, I think you, you just bring attention to it as a head coach. You, you just make sure, hey, that's the focus. Is it, It's these guys. It's not about us. Um, you know, there's in college football, people come and go from jobs all the time, and we understand that. But, you, you know, these guys have a four- or five-year window to maximize who they are as people and players. And, so it's about them and never lose sight of that. And, and you're only as good as your players, as everybody knows. And, and I think as long as the head coach, you continue to emphasize that and bring it back to that, uh, that's where the focus is going to lie. What gives you sort of the most optimism and hope that, that you can uh, you know, raise the program's standard and be able to win like you guys have wanted to win here? Yeah, I, I think 
I've just seen um, a different mentality as we've been here and as you know, consistency has happened on defense. Um, there's, a, there's a different expectation of, of what we should be at Texas Tech internally, and, and that's exciting for me. You, you see players' expectations, uh, expectation levels being raised and, and uh, their work ethic being raised and the type of student athlete we're bringing in. Um, they just have a different mentality, and I think that's when you are able to take that next step. How does your job change when you have, you know, this year you have so much youth at quarterback, guys that don't have experience. What is that like compared to when you have, you know, a Pat or even like a Nick who've been in the program that know kind of what you're doing, and you also don't really have a competition? How does your job change in a spring or an offseason when you're preparing for that? Yeah, for me, as a guy who's hands-on with the quarterbacks and coaches the quarterbacks, I spend a lot more time. Um, with them this spring than than last spring. Last spring I was able to work, you know, more with the defense and do some different things. Well, this year was quarterback coach Kingsbury again, trying to make sure that I poured everything I had into all, all those guys over there and making sure they um, their their kind of learning curve was expedited as much as it can be. Because as we know, in any uh, level of football, that quarterback is is a huge deal, and, and we got to get one of those guys up to speed and playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. What was your sort of message to to Jet after obviously the trouble this spring? What did you kind of emphasize with him? Uh, he understands, you know, I, all eyes are on him, and he, he's been given a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, his, his family raised him the right way, and, and he knows that, and he, he just can't have anything else come up. He, he's got too much riding on it. Um, he's worked too hard to get here, and, and he needs to be the person he wants to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, uh, you know, people have this idea of you as an air raid guy, but I was talking to some NFL scouts last year, and they talked about they really loved – what you do with Pat in the red zone, like his later years where it was a lot of bootlegs, a lot of NFL concepts. What sort of, you know, can you kind of walk me through installing those and what that looked like and sort of just kind of your thoughts on, on being able to establish that and make you guys do some different things in the red zone? Yeah, we, we just try to adapt to our personnel. We were really good, and we were really good with him in the red zone. He's so mobile and can do different things that we wanted to play to his strengths. And, um, you know, last year, Nick was a different style. He's a tremendous thrower and, and was a different style of player. But um, that, that's something we take a lot of pride in as offensive coaches here is adapting to our quarterbacks, adapting to our running backs, adapting to our O-line. Whatever we think we can do to make it easier for those guys, we're going to try to do. And, and that's where that came from with Pat was just, hey, what does he do really well? Let's let him do it and, and let him be himself. What, uh, what does adapting to your personnel look like this year? Are we going to see some power eye behind the offensive we're gonna line? Ch- yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the thought is, hey, let's, let's lean on those guys. Let's lean on those running backs. And, and as we develop one of these quarterbacks and he gets kind of some – um, game time under his film. Hopefully, we're, we're physical enough in the run game that we can do some different stuff off that and run the football and uh, play better defense. And I, I think going against a really good defense in practice every day is, is only going to help those guys um, up front to, to be that much better in the run game. And um, we'll just see see where the quarterback position goes and, and how it develops. I'm always curious talking to, to opposing coaches who who is the toughest coach in the Big Twelve to prepare for. Who's the guy that you turn the page on Sunday and you say, okay, this is going to be a long week. We've got to prepare for a ton of stuff. Um, defensively? Uh, just in general. I think both. Either or. I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a ton of great coaches. You know, Gary Patterson is one, you know, defensively that you look at his track record over the years and it's just amazing and how he's adapted to his personnel and adapted his schemes and done different things. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him um, and the work he puts into it. Um, you know, Matt Campbell is, is 
a phenomenal coach at Iowa State, what he's done there and his defense coordinator there. Um, they've put in some wrinkles that a lot of people around the country are trying to emulate now. Um, but it, it's all throughout the league. Lincoln Riley offensively as good as anybody in the country as we've seen and, and what he was able to do with Baker was phenomenal so I could name every single one and I don't, <laughs> I don't like I don't like leaving one out yeah. I, I think in the Big 12 that, that's you see some unique um, you know game plans week in and week out and, and some tremendous coaching going on and um, you know that, that that's uh, that's what makes our league special in my opinion have you had any contact with Johnny as he sort of made his comeback and tried to, to get back in there? Yeah, yeah, just text here and there. Um, sounded like he had a good spring league, which he was excited about. I watched some of the highlights, and you see some of those vintage plays that he can make. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's never been about you know his ability at all. I know people have different opinions, but I watched him do it at the highest level against the best players in the country. And um, if he ever gets that focus and, and that work ethic that he decided to say, I'm going to do it, he can definitely do it. So I hope that that, that works out for him. As somebody who's been close to him, what, what has it been like for you to see sort of him go about and talk about some of the changes that he's made in his life? What, what has it been like to, to see Yeah, that? it's been tremendous. Um, he's still so young. I think people forget that because he's been a household name for so long that he's only 25 and has you know the whole world in front of him. And um, it, I, I hope he can get it going because he has a whole life to live and has tremendous, tremendous ability, and he's a great competitor. He's a great person. Has a great heart. Um, he just got to get some things in order, and it sounds like he's on that path. Mm-hmm. For you, I mean, Lubbock is not a small town, but it's it's a big small town. Mm-hmm. It's hard for you to be around a ton. You're, you know, it's tough for you to go out. So when you're at home, you're done with football for the night. Like, what what is what is your what is your go to? What do you spend your time doing? Uh, Netflix. I mean, I'm a big <laughs> uh, like Dateline. Okay. ID guy on the ID channel, our own networks, so those right. Dateline reruns, murder mysteries. That's kind of my deal. So, I'm, I'm either falling asleep to Netflix or Dateline, and, and that's about it. What's Pretty on the, What's life. on the Netflix queue? What are, What are you currently binging? Um, there's a show called Nick Mafia that's. Uh, pretty good okay yeah it's pretty good so what is your favorite murder mystery of all time what is your what it, when you think about the genre you're like that's the gold standard oh <laughs> that's tough there's there's so many of them it just it's pretty fascinating that that many of them go on in, in america i guess is <laughs> because they have endless amount of reruns but i don't have one that just jumps out mm-hmm. what's uh for you when you sort of were, were taking this job how is this job you know coming back to your own modern how is it compared to what you sort of dreamed it would be yeah, it's been everything and, and more. I think um, the Big 12, you know, has changed. The dynamics of it have changed, and it's it's uber competitive week in and week out, and, and we've been trying to battle to get to that next level. And um, it's it's been a, uh, you know, it's been some ups and downs, but I wouldn't change a day of it because we've learned a lot as a staff, and I've learned a lot as a head coach. And um, the community is phenomenal. The best people in the world are out here, and our athletic director and the administration have been so supportive. So it's been everything I could have ever imagined, and, and I'm just uh, hoping we can we can get to that next level and, and continue to uh, get this place where we all want it to be. Mm-hmm. Going back to your, your playing days, so I, I found a story in the Washington Post in 2002. I, want, I have a suspicion that it's not true, but it said uh, a section. It said Britney Spears has also noticed Kingsbury. Uh, albeit with help from text coach, she contacted the football office when she sang a concert in Lubbock last summer. She asked who was the school's star football player. But we did not get to meet her. Kingsbury, Kingsbury got a tour of her tour bus, attended the show, which ended after two songs, and received an autographed picture. Uh, Cliff, make room for the Heisman next year. Love, Brittany. Now, your boy, Wes Welker, sold you out here. 
I, I, I want to know if this is true. He said, but he had it in his locker for at least a week so everyone would see it. He had sort of a shrine to her. <laughs> <laughs> no. He was no. really pumped. He almost, I almost grabbed the thing no. and sold it on eBay. Yeah, what is, is that this, sounds is like this, he was jealous. I think, see, I think, I think he, he was, was giving you a hard time. I, I think, think he was jealous. I, I'm sure I showed it to him <laughs> in his face, but I don't think I had a shrine going. Is the note true, though? The note's true? The note true? was true, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the note was true. That was, see, that was I thought cool. my, That was prime Brittany. Now, that was I on know. top of the world, Brittany. My, my, my theory was that you just, like, taped it in your locker, and he embellished to a I, I, I'm sure I displayed it around, <laughs> but I'm not sure if I had it in my locker. I, I can't. Do you I know where it is now? Or deny that? Do you know where it is now? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure I have it in storage, but I, I have it. I have it somewhere. For you, what when you look at, at this program and, and moving forward, what what are the things that you feel like you've had to change from the time when you took over to what you're doing now? What are the things you're doing differently? Uh, that's a great question. I think each year you learn. Um, more and more about which direction you have to take to to get to that elite level and I think one of the biggest hurdles we had out here and, and as a program for a lot of years was consistency at the defense coordinator position when you look at the successful teams in our league they've all had their DCs in place for multiple years and seven seven and seven years was like unprecedented yeah and that, so that that's hard to overcome and so if you get that and you can establish the culture on that side of the football I think you have a chance and I was such an offensive minded guy that hey we're just going to outscore them doesn't matter who's calling it and I, I think being here and seeing it and seeing the success other teams have and why they're having that success has changed my mindset on it and, and we've been fortunate that now have our DC going on his fourth year and um, that's that's made a big difference in our program. What is it like to have a guy like Kirby who's pretty steadfastly kind of been in your corner, a guy that hired you, a guy that believes in you? What has that sort of been like? It's It's been incredible. I think in this day and age of knee-jerk reactions and the easy thing is to make a change. Um, I know he's taken some heat and, and you know rightfully so probably but he believes what he sees and, and sees with his own eyes and I think having a guy that is so familiar with college football and you know, had to watch 30 games a week when he was the, the chairman of the playoff committee. He has a good feel for what's going on and what's out there and, and what we need to do. And he's felt like we're close. We feel like we're close. And we just have to take that next step. What does this program need to be? What do you want to be where you feel like, okay, we're doing things. We're, we're, we're where this program needs to be. What, what should the bar be for Texas Tech? Yeah, I mean, I think we should, we should want to play, you know, in the Big 12 championship year in and year out and, and be in that consideration. And, and uh, November and, and we haven't been there yet we've had some ups and downs and um, hung around for a while but we have to be more consistent when we get a big 12 play and, and be able to play with anybody mm-hmm. well, anything else you feel like I should know that's it man appreciate <laughs> you coming out here appreciate it that's all from Cliff Kingsbury thanks for joining it's going to be an interesting fall in Lubbock thanks so that's this week's show uh, BD any parting thoughts you want to leave us with before we close out no, I just think that uh, it's going to be a fascinating season, uh, no doubt. Um, you know, with, without the Baker Mayfield show uh, in Norman and um, the Tom Herman show getting it, getting it going here, I I just think it's going to be a fun year in the Big 12. It is. It's a wide-open league. I think uh, certainly Oklahoma, I guess by default, takes that favorite status. Uh, West Virginia will be interesting. Texas building, I'm, I'm with you. It's going to be a, a fascinating year in the league. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Cliff Kingsbury for sitting down with me. Thanks to our uh, fresh face producer, Max Thompson, who makes us good and uh, edits out almost all of BD's profane rants that don't make the show. Uh, and thanks to you, the listeners, who make the show what it is. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review. It only makes the show better. And we close the show like we close every show. Texas, Texas A&M, play the game. Come on. Nobody wants to see this. Everybody wants to see you play the game. See you next week.